Hello and welcome to the Narrow Gate. This is Orna, your host, and I'm happy to be back with you. This is episode 28 of the Narrow Gate. Um, I said I would be doing these fortnightly, so um, uh, today's topic, I have changed it from what I was going to talk about. I have always said that these um, this newsletter and podcast will be spirit-led, so if I feel strong in my spirit to change something, I just change it. But I will go back to what I was talking about for anybody who was following what I might have been talking about. So I was going to talk about how I, in my own life, overcame worldly desires because I got onto a theme of talking about sin and how I don't struggle with sin anymore as much anymore well I don't struggle with sin and I wrote that article and obviously that caused a bit of a stir because a lot of Christians think that that's impossible so I want to talk about my journey of how I had to overcome uh, temptation and different things in my life so I will do that in two weeks time unless the the Holy Spirit intervenes again Okay, so I've been studying this for my own work. Everybody who knows me now probably knows that I'm a life coach. I'm a Christian life coach. I have started back on my business. Uh, The reason I'm not advertising in a huge way is because I'm still doing a lot of the uh, legal side of my business. Okay, I can advertise. I can talk about it. um, um, I've met you know, one or two clients, it's all fine because I'm able to record everything, document everything, but I'm trying to get everything on the business set up. So that's why you won't see me promoting that in a big way at the moment. So a big um, area in healing, as I'm a life coach and I want to help to heal people, is um, codependency. Okay, so I've been studying this a lot recently and in the past, but I'm getting more into it because I wanted to maybe just come out of me more naturally rather than so um, so that I can teach it in a better way. I feel that Christians are really falling behind in the healing journey. And this is why I turned all my work over into Christian work. I was happy at the beginning when I started my business nine years ago. I was happy to call it new creation, open it to everybody. I'm a life coach. I'm going to share things about improving your life, success, how to be happy, all these things, you know, until the healing part hit me of how... um, Within the church, nobody is dealing with healing. Very difficult. And so I just thank God that I had the direction from the Spirit of God to go and find healing for myself. I'm not saying I was any, like, why do I have that awareness and other people don't? By the grace of God, I would say. How come I didn't get stuck in a long-term abusive relationship with a toxic person, narcissist. Thank God I had the awareness. But now I want to um, highlight that to other people, okay? So this is what this is about today. Now, to make this easier, um, I just want to make it clear, okay? Okay. Christians don't like the terms that are going around in the psychology circles, but everybody knows about them. So 
let's not be naive and pretend we don't know everybody's talking about codependency and narcissism and it's becoming more and more and the Christians are, uh, oh, what, am I married to a narcissist and I'm in church? Yeah, probably. Sorry. So um, we can do this in a way where eventually I will move it into more biblical um, teaching so you're aware that this is not of God, codependency, narcissism. These are personality problems. These are dysfunctions. These are brokenness. And God is a healer. And he is using our intellect to help. And I happen to have an interest in this area. I happen to, I was a nurse. I'm interested in human people, human nature. I'm interested in psychology. I'm interested in psychiatry. I struggled myself with issues of depression. So I am a good person to share because I have the knowledge, but I also have the experience. Okay, so I am growing more in my knowledge. So I just want to look at one scripture to get you started is that um, God is not happy about what's going on. God does not sit back and look at a poor codependent person in a really dysfunctional relationship being abused by a narcissistic partner and that God sits back and says, good girl, you just keep serving, you just keep giving because you know what? Your reward is in heaven. I don't think that's an accurate description of our God, okay? So I just want to debunk some of this stuff. So Hosea 4, 6 says, Good people, my people, God says, are being destroyed from a lack of knowledge, okay? I'll add that scripture. You can read it yourself. So I'm just, I've written this down so that I can really just deliver this message to you. This podcast is educational. That's what it is. It's not so much my opinion because I have an opinion, but this is educational based on my research, psychology, biblical, my own experience. So this is teaching, okay? It's educational. If you don't like it, that's fine. But I am teaching what I know. Please ask questions in the comments if you if you want. Actually, this... Um, this is free, but the comments are not free. So if you are a free subscriber, you'll have to email me with your, with your questions. But uh, paid subscribers, you can just put in your comment there below. Okay, so I'm calling codependency the killer disease. It's a silent killer disease disorder, okay? Why am I calling it that? Because it goes unseen and people are suffering in silence and I was one of them. And so are many people in my life. I'm not great at labeling people, saying people who, what. I see people on YouTube. I don't like pointing the finger at people in my life. Um, but if it has to be done, it'll have to be done at some point. But right now, I'm not going to do that. You can read between the lines. <laughs> I'm probably saying it anyway. Okay, so I just want to read through it to keep us on track, okay? Because I have so much to say about this. And I want to help you. I want to help you to heal. I'm not judging anybody who's in a toxic, 
damaging, dysfunctional, abusive relationship. I'm not judging anybody. When I have tried to help some people, I have been attacked by codependents where I've been trying to say, you know, be careful, you know, that person's telling lies. They're not exactly honest, you know, so, but they will defend their partner. So I had to just stop. And this may happen to um, listeners, you know, they just take a total um, protecting the um, narcissist in their life or their love interest. Okay, so let's just start what it is. Codependency is an addiction, by the way. It is an addiction to relationships. It's a need to be in a relationship, to feel worthy, to feel valuable. Without the relationship, the codependent feels worthless. Worthless. Without worth. That's it. That's exactly what it's about. Okay, because of this vulnerability that the codependent has from childhood, which I will explain, this vulnerability is putting them at risk of um, wicked, selfish people. Because they're unaware, many codependents are unaware, it's quite subconscious of their behavior. They know something is off. They know they don't feel good. They feel hurt and rejected quite often in these relationships, but they're not able to put their finger on what's actually happening. Why can't I get the love that I want? Okay. This is the inner mind and heart and soul of a codependent person. Listen, it could be you. Don't switch off yet. It might be you. Imagine you're in a relationship, absolutely in love with your partner, and you just can't seem to get them to love you. Okay? So to make things easier here, I am going to put the narcissist as male and the codependent as female. And it's not because I don't think there are, it's the other way around. There are narcissistic women and codependent men. It is, it is probably more common to have a narcissistic male because the world has programmed them to be that way more. You know, it's not that men are not good. It's just women have been conditioned to love and nurture and give and men have been programmed and conditioned to take and to be superior and powerful and so a lot of it's programming from long long time ago but it has happened to many men so but just for this i'm going to talk about the narcissist being male and then codependent being female we're going to talk like imagine a husband and a wife or two people getting dating for marriage because we're Christians, okay? So we're trying to keep it within a Christian context. You're trying to date somebody with the view of getting married, maybe having a family, living a Christian life, walking together in the kingdom of God, okay? So husband and wife or you're dating for marriage. That's who I'm trying to talk to here. So what's happening is because of this vulnerability in the codependent, the codependents are being exploited. Selfish people see the weakness, okay, 
wicked. We could replace the word narcissist with wicked, okay? Wicked is, is really being selfish, really like selfish ambition. It is a sin in the Bible, selfish ambition. They're interested in their own um, success in life, their own image, their own agenda, selfish ambition. So they will exploit a codependent and see the vulnerability and say, Mm, I could get them to do that for me. And they won't say, no, this is good. Okay, so this is the trick in the mind of the narcissist. They are tricking. Codependents are too naive. This is why no, the codependents need to wake up. It's naivety as well. Codependency is a prison. I've been there on a milder form, but I have been there. This is how we think. Okay, so I've been brought up as a girl, woman, in a Christian church, and I'm codependent. That's my sort of makeup. I'm more on the softer kind of giver side, yeah? I don't know why. I didn't design this. So my thought, and people like codependents, we are be good, be kind, serve others, listen to others, give to others, caretake, rescue, save, nurture, and love others all the time. That's it. That's our programming. So the Bible does say love others and even says, because I do meditate on this, it even says love others above ourselves. So we have to bring this into context. How can we live out this life as codependents honoring others above ourselves and dealing with these issues. So it can be complex. So if you want to get healed of codependency, you've got to be willing to go on the journey and learn. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge, the prophet Hosea said in 4, Hosea 4, 6. So we have a responsibility to learn about this. So the codependence, um, so this is what has driven codependence. Following the Bible, it's been passed down. Ireland's a Catholic church, yeah, a Catholic country. Well, it's, you know, mostly Catholic in the South anyway. And so, yeah, we didn't study the Bible like the evangelical Christians or the, or the Protestants. But they were teaching us everywhere you know, from the pulpit. We weren't supposed to read it ourselves now. That was not allowed. But they were teaching us from the pulpit and uh, at school and everywhere and our parents and society. So, I mean, this is what we heard. So the codependents at a very early age were driven by loving others above ourselves. So the codependents, because of this, Many who believed it and followed it, some heard it and denied it and rejected it, especially narcissists. But the codependents who believed it, they thought it was godly, they thought it was good, they ended up in an early grave because they believed what they were doing was good. Unfortunately, there was no teaching about this and many refused to obey and rebelled against the church, against their parents, and they would have 
become the narcissistic type of personality, rejected at all. But the codependent who's a little naive, I would say, hands up, I was naive. I thought everybody was operating under the same thinking of me. Give, love others. I thought that. I really did. And I'm sure many, many codependents feel the same. It's like we were tricked. <laughs> you're, play you're playing a game with different rules. But they're cheating, basically. You're like, okay, so this could really work. I love them. They love me. Woo, life is great. Okay. So listen, this is true. So what happens is the codependent, who is a good, loving person, lives by these rules. Now, in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered into man, this would have worked. This could have worked beautifully. God's plan would always work beautifully. But in a fallen world, the codependent is unarmed and unprepared for the tricks of the enemy, the narcissist. The narcissist is chosen to take as much as they can while on this planet. That is the mind of a narcissist. Remember, a narcissist is a highly dysfunctional person. It's actually a personality disorder. They're not actually living how they're meant to be living. They're dysfunctional because of their own lack of love in their childhood. They're actually more sick than the codependent. That's why I reach out to codependents because narcissists are hard to change. Because they're not aware. And if they have a glimpse into their own character, they run a mile because they don't want to change because they're benefiting a lot. It's so easy to go out if you have no empathy, no care, you feel entitled. That is the narcissistic traits. Overly confident, overly confident, full of themselves. Entitled, egotistical selfish of course they don't want to be unmasked they're having a great time they have everything and they don't care about god well if they did they would have to change and sometimes they go to church and they might get convicted occasionally for i don't know five minutes and then somehow they manage to don't know just ignore it so on the other hand, the codependent has decided to give as much as she can. So the narcissist has chosen to take as much as they can. The codependent has decided to give as much as she can while she's on this earth. And that's how it goes. These two characters, if they meet, it's drastic. It's dreadful. It causes toxic dysfunction in the couple and all the way down through the generations. So this is where the problem lies. Here are the two people on opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, one person I highly recommend, he's not a born-again Christian. He, he is a very good psychotherapist. I would say he's good. A lot of this information I got from him. I wish there were more Christians talking about this, but unfortunately they are not. I will probably be one of those people who will... Um, develop this further so that I can teach more. So this is Ross Rosenberg. Ross Rosenberg, I know he does talk about God and um, uh, so 
I don't hear him talking about being born again. Okay, so but he's a psychologist, a psychotherapist, and he is also a recovering codependent. So he's excellent for teaching this. Also, he was much worse than me because he got married. So anybody who married into a narcissistic relationship, a very unhealthy, addicted, you know, they married a partner who's addicted, uh, somebody who's highly selfish, egotistical, never gives any love back, abusive. He married, he, I think, three women before he learned about this. So this is what I'm saying. And most people in this generation, so that hopefully the next generation will learn this early. But us, but we are further than the last generation, okay? So let's put it that way. The last generation, you might have had one or two women or men. And we're talking about the women who said, this isn't going to work. And they might have just left their husbands and worked on themselves and discovered that they were in a toxic relationship and got healed. So they were ahead of their time because they put say they said no to it. But um, say my parents' generation, the Catholic Church in Ireland, we had a lot of that pressure of the Catholic Church and the shame. If they were to leave, they would have been shamed by the uh, public, the neighbors. It was kind of like... I'm sure it's what it's like over here in the East, you know. I'm over in Vietnam, and I'm sure maybe they have a lot of saving face, and um, I think divorce is probably frowned upon here also. So um, I don't advocate for divorce, but I would say separation is good. And that's where I admire the Catholic Church in some ways, is that if someone was brave enough to say, I can't stand this, I'm getting out, there was a way out without a divorce and the Catholic Church, if they were pushed far enough by a desperate woman, maybe even could be beaten or something and they had to leave. And so the Catholic Church had something in place. They just didn't promote it. And what they would do if a woman, they say, we don't believe in divorce, you can separate and uh, there was a legal separation also. And that has been there for many, many years in Ireland and different countries. So the Catholic Church has a way out for people. You don't have to stay. So this is where I'm saying, if you're Catholic, Protestant, uh, whatever Christian faith you belong to, you do not have to stay in an abusive relationship. There is a way out in a godly way. Divorce is not... Um, something the Catholic Church is fond of, but it would happen. They go through a process of annulment and there's a longer process. Or, um, but um, I'm not going into that right now, but that's, um, he, Ross Rosenberg was divorced as well and um, finally got healing. He wrote a book called The Human Magnet Syndrome. I haven't read the book, but I have studied a lot of his work and I'm beginning to think that he really has nailed it. He really has nailed it, and I have a good understanding of it because I was in it and got out of it. Now, I've had a lot of friends over the years, and I am a sociable person, and over the years, and many, many girlfriends, and um, so I know, and we talk, you know, about different relationships, and so I learned a lot through all of that, you know, and seeing my sisters get married, and my aunts, and everybody getting married, and different things, and all the dating process and everything. So, and my own experiences. So I have a lot of sort of um, awareness around what goes on. 
you know, and that addiction. And so there is actually an addiction in it, okay? We'll come back to that later. So well, here we are. Now you have the two who come together and they're on the opposites. Now Ross Rosenberg talks about this and he calls them a magnet syndrome. It's kind of like the attraction is amazing. So you are a woman and you're codependent and you meet this man and he's narcissistic and he's charming and beautiful and wonderful and wow and he's like really love bombing you at the beginning so he thinks you're amazing at the beginning at the beginning <laughs> remember that part at the beginning and uh, the codependent thinks wow he likes me this is amazing and then whatever so they start their relationship and it's complete they describe it as chemistry and the thing is they're both the, the two of them are happy in this romantic situation, um, the sparks are flying, and we call it chemistry, and they're hooked. They're both hooked. They both feel they have found their perfect match. The narcissist is happy because he has found a woman who idolizes him. She gives him admiration, compliments. She serves him. She gives. Uh, she just can't get enough of him. She's addicted to him. He's her drug. It can be the other way around, as I said. The man can be addicted to the woman and say, oh, she's so sexy. She's so beautiful. Oh, I love her. Oh, wow, I must. Oh, look, I have a picture of her. Look, she's beautiful. <laughs> this is it. It's addiction. So the person, the codependent is addicted to the human person, human magnet syndrome, like it was a bottle of whiskey, like it was a cigarette, like it was her heroin. You know, it's a drug. So it's a really, really hidden addiction. So this is perfect for the egotistical, entitled nar narcissist. He doesn't have to do much. He will keep, she will keep giving to him. And all he has to do is throw a few crumbs now and again to keep her going, you know. So, for example, what is a few crumbs? You give her a compliment. You look nice in that. Wow, she's over the moon. <laughs> oh, well done. That's great. Thanks for that nice meal. Wow, she's just like celebrating. Wow, she thinks it's amazing. I mean, they're crumbs. That's not anything to live off in a relationship. But what does the codependent get? This is the good question. What's, why is she staying? I've listened to a lot of interviews. Why does she stay? What is she getting out of it? I don't get it. The narcissist is happy. But why is she there? Good question. She does get something from it. That's why she stays. It's feeding her addiction. Her addiction is the need to be needed. She needs to be needed. He, if it was a male. This gives her a place in the world, a sense of belonging. Remember, the codependent has been neglected in her childhood. She didn't have her needs met. She didn't receive love, affection, nurture, respect. All the things a child needs on a daily basis. So she's deprived, starved of affection as a child. And has it changed? No, she's still like that. Until there's healing, until God comes in, until she loves herself. As long as she keeps go giving to the narcissist without expecting anything in return, the narcissist will stay with her. 
After all, he's getting all his needs met. So while the poor codependent is becoming depleted of energy, the narcissist is thriving in a home like that. He's happy. Everything is in total control. Often the codependent becomes sick because they get very tired. You know, they're, they're giving a lot. They're doing all the work. They're, they're carrying the relationship. They're probably doing 92%, probably 98%. And then the narcissist gives the 2%. Some people say 80-20. The narcissist gives 80. The narcissist gives 20. Well, I'd say no. I'd say that the codependent gives 98% and the narcissist gives 2%, if even that. They're the crumbs. And that narcissist hates when the codependent gets sick because his caretaker is gone. And then he might actually have to visit her in hospital and bring her things. And, you know, because he has to keep the image. The narcissist has to keep the front up. There is a show going on here. It's all a facade. So they have to be seen to be good. So what will happen is it's all she's sick now. I'll have to go down to the hospital. So they go down to the hospital and they bring a nice gift. You know, so that the nurses will see him coming in with an, oh, look, she has a lovely husband, all dressed up with a nice box of chocolates and flowers for his wife. Wow. Isn't he amazing? You see, this is it. This is the show. I'm trying to wake people up. So she's starved of affection and he's doing all this. So if he's not getting the attention from her, he'll get it from all the nurses down at the hospital when he's walking in with his box of chocolates. Okay. So the codependent is losing out big time here because she gives all the love, care, attention and respect. I um, I get a lot of this from Ross Rosenberg. I am learning from him. He's very good. But it is never reciprocated. That's very sad, isn't it? That could be you. She is starved of affection. So why does she stay? Well, I didn't stay, and I'm telling you that I had codependence, codependency, codependent traits I had. No denying it. I could see it in me. And I had a few incidents and relationships that started that way. I did. I had a few. I think maybe three or four in my life that started that way. And see, this is my problem. You see, I was like, what is going on? You see, I was always aware that there was something not right. But I didn't know what it was. Well, so that's what I mean by levels. Okay, so... When I say there's levels of codependency and there's levels of narcissism. So some some people are highly narcissistic and they would have um, like a full-blown disorder. And then you have narcissistic people who have traits. Usually maybe somebody who's addicted, they can be so addicted to their drug that it makes them selfish. But they can still be kind of empathetic. I have noticed that some people who have alcohol addiction... Um, and they're coming off it or they're going for recovery. I notice that they do have empathy, you know, and they're able to empathize and listen. And um, so 
I think it's when they're in the addiction, they get very selfish. But then you have the narcissistic on the higher spectrum is completely antisocial and, um, you know, different. They're just uh, way off the scale. I will go through them gradually one at a time because, as I say, it's a big topic. So I, um, as I say, I'm not judging anybody who's in this situation, but I just want to say, how did I get out? I met a friend recently. Well, I won't say we're friends because that person is has spent seven years, you know, seven years in, in a dysfunctional relationship. And I was just living my Christian life, doing my thing. I never, so I never really heard from her just online or something. And... Um, so I bumped into her and she's still like no awareness. But she did know that I had some some of those situations where I met someone who was narcissistic and kind of started something with them, you know, just dating or whatever, or spending time with them because I'm a Christian. I just want to say that to single Christians, by the way. It's okay to spend time with someone and you're not dating them and you're not having any sexual relationship with them. And I actually think this is fun. Uh, people used to think I was dating with someone. I said, I'm just hanging out with him. You know, why not be smart and hang out with someone if you think you might you might possibly be interested in them? Just hang out with them. I hung out with a few people, guys like that, and people thought we were dating, but I wasn't dating. He knew that, and I knew that. And so that would put you into a safe environment. You're not dating, but you're actually watching them for signs of are they healthy? So you've got to have wisdom. Don't be foolish. Um, and so the reason I came out of those relationships is because I had enough self-love and self-respect and self-esteem and self-awareness and confidence to say, no, I deserve more than this. And I would run away from them. I would cut and end the relationship. I would end it. But I would have felt something on ending the relationship. It was hard for me to end it because I had the uh, kind of the drug, the little bit of an addiction to it, you know. Um, but God, through prayer, would give me the strength by the Holy Spirit to say, no, it's not good. It's not good. Cut it off. Cut it off in the name of Jesus. So, But there are many women out there who stay. And it's very sad, but they stay out of a lack of courage, a low self-esteem, fear of what others think, fear of failure. My marriage has failed. My relationship failed. I can't, because they have a low self-esteem anyway. They don't feel good enough anyway. Codependents don't feel worthy or good enough. So to have a failed marriage on top of everything else, it's just not really what they want. So they kind of try to keep up the appearances and the image and... You know, at least I, at least I have something. You know, because usually they build up something. The narcissist is often successful, has money because the narcissist does not want to be poor and penniless because that doesn't work for their ego. So most narcissists have money. So that means the codependent will be in a relationship with someone who is able to provide a home, and she will work also, usually providing money also. So they will have built up something like a house, a home, a family, cars, holiday homes, boats, who knows what they have. So that looks good on the exterior. And um, 
what would the neighbors say? So the codependent sacrifices their heart and soul for a few crumbs. That's the bottom line. And this is why I want to raise awareness. Because God does not want any of his children living that way. A lot of the people who are really in the dysfunction are not following God. I will say that. I have been. And I know they're in churches as well. Um, but it is very possible that they're just doing religious things at church. We do know it's very common that a lot of pastors are narcissistic. I don't like saying that, and I'm not against the church. I'm trying to build up the church, in fact. But somebody has to be honest. A lot of narcissistics and pastors are narcissistic because of the front role that it takes. Now, it's not really the role, according to the Bible. A pastor is actually meant to be a counselor, you know, someone sort of would listen. Pastor the flock, you know, pastor nurture, pastor the flock like a shepherd. But they're not really like that today. They're more into, you know, look at me. And so when you have that role, imagine now you have an, I'm taking an example of a pastor who's narcissistic. And he has his lovely, perfect wife who's codependent, usually looks perfect because a codependent is, is low self-esteem, so they have to look perfect all the time because perfectionism is part of it. And the narcissist also demands perfection. So, so she would be perfect and she might have her little row of children beside her. And a narcissist does like to have children because, you know, they need little people to control. So the more children they have, the better. They always want a lot of children. You will find that. Because it's easy. They just control them like little pawns. This is the truth. It's wicked. It's evil. It's not good. And the codependent wife is there in the church serving. They're usually up, you know, doing the women's ministry or something like that. And so... It's not very good if they're doing the women's ministry. Is it teaching young girls this bad habit? This bad, wrong, dysfunctional way of living when they're, you know. And we have, uh, we have all met pastor's kids and missionary kids. And um, they do get a lot of um, neglect because of the serving, serving, serving the world, save the world, help everybody, and the children are being deprived and neglected. So a lot of pastors' kids and missionary kids are very torn, and I have met them. I've met many of them. They can be quite torn, and they usually want to run away from the church. A lot of them have that crisis, and they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And thankfully, some of them come back themselves, and that's great if they do. So to keep in mind, the reason I'm raising awareness, as I said, is this is codependent, is suffering constant. If they're in a relationship like that, I am not. I am a recovered codependent. And that's why it's great to teach it, because it actually keeps me well away from that and well away from that behavior. But the pain of somebody in that relationship, I bet you can think of someone, possibly your mother or grandmother, Maybe grandmother, maybe father. I know there are fathers and they're married to narcissistic women and that's very difficult also. Especially when, you know, I know it's um, today's society don't believe that the woman is the nurturer, the more natural nurturer. But I do believe that the woman is the more natural nurturer. So if you have a narcissistic mother, that could be doubly painful in my opinion.
But I said I wouldn't give my opinion, so let's leave that out. The pain of constant rejection and abandonment is what a codependent is living with day in, day out, insecure, feeling low, low self-esteem, just wanting to be seen and recognized and loved. And the way they do that is by giving, serving, helping, fixing, over-functioning. That's it. It's very sad. And they are only hurting. So what's, what is really happening here? I have talked about the inner child once only on this narrow gate, but I have talked about it on Medium. If you want to follow me there, you can. Um, the inner child is where this is all coming from. The codependency is coming from the wounded inner child. So if you see yourself, let's talk about you. Let's bring it home. Let's talk about, I'm talking to codependents now, not narcissists or whatever. Okay, if you think you might be codependent after what I've said, think about the little you, the little girl, the little boy. What was it like for you growing up in your family or caregivers? It's possible not everybody had two parents. You could have been a single parent family could have been in a foster home you could have been orphaned whoever was your main caregiver givers even what was it like for you growing up as a child were your needs met did they listen to you did they help you did they affirm you that you were special that you were beautiful that you were good that you were kind that you're great did they do that for you on a daily basis? Or did you come from a home where maybe your parents weren't there? Maybe your mother was working all day and your father was absent. Was it an empty home? Was there abuse in the home? This is where it's coming from. So we need to get back to the little child and heal the little child. And God wants you to be healed on a deep level back to that little girl or boy and get that healing. And when you nurture and heal that inner self and you start to love yourself and God loves you, you won't be acting codependently anymore. You will be healed. So this is the root It starts in childhood, inadequate parenting or caregivers. The child experienced neglect, deprivation, possible abuse, and the normal developmental needs were not met. The need for nurture, love, affection, affirmation, respect, encouragement were not met. This is what's known as attachment trauma. You had a trauma? Attachment trauma simply means you were meant to be attached to your mother in a bond, secure attachment, or father, but in mainly with the mother. It's called a, a secure attachment. The child is bonded with the mother. There is love, there's attention, there's affection. The child's needs were met, mostly, not maybe 100%, but a good 
you know, healthy amount, enough to bring the child up quite feeling secure. And this deep need for an attachment of a loving parent, especially a mother, is what develops a confident human being, adult. But if they, those needs are not met, when the child grows up, she is still looking for those childhood needs to be met, and usually in a partner. So she's usually looking to get that met in a romantic relationship. She wants time, love, attention, affection, care, respect, see me. Remember a child? Can you see me? Look at me, look at me. Children do that. Look at me, look at me, yeah? But that's supposed to be gone when we become adults, you see? But if it wasn't meant as a child, we're going to be looking for attention in the same way. So um, they start looking for that from a, a relationship. And this is why um, they can drive healthy people away. Because healthy people are like, oh my gosh, they're so needy. I need to get away, right? So uh, a healthy person will run a mile from that. But a narcissist will abuse it. And that's what happens, you see. You lose the healthy people and you can't understand why these narcissists are so amazing because they're not who they say they are. It's not real. They say a sign is if it's too good to be true, then it's not true. <laughs> That's how you know with the narcissist, okay? Uh, because she's been, okay, so the codependent, she keeps running then as an adult, grown-up woman meets a man, she's chasing him, she wants to get married to him, and she's chasing him for breadcrumbs, okay, because she's used to rations. She grew up on rations, emotional rations. So when a, a man comes along, a, a good man, she rejects him because she's not able, it's too much, it's like a big meal. <laughs> I can't eat, I, I, I'm just used to breadcrumbs, I don't eat bread, a whole loaf of bread, that's too much for me. So they can't, a codependent can't handle love, real love. But when the narcissist comes along, charming her with empty promises, oh, she's hooked. You see, the addiction. An addiction, any addiction is to just get rid of the pain. And he will be her addiction. So he'd throw her an occasional few breadcrumbs. And she will mistake that as love. And it's not love. So this is dangerous, and this is why I want to tell people about it. And I will keep going on about it, because, um, especially because in the life coaching, I want to um, let you know that if you are struggling with this, I am somebody who knows how to walk through it with you. And many Many, many therapists haven't developed this. They don't have the awareness. The therapists don't, the life coaches don't. And so it's hard to find. And I used to go through some sessions when I was trying to work this out. And I'd be telling people about how I was being treated badly by someone. And they'd never really supported me. They used to actually defend the person. I used to wonder, why are you defending the person? You don't even know them. So I'd be telling them that, you know, trying to unravel these confusing patterns, cycles of behaving. And the therapist would be defending the, the, the person I was talking about, the narcissist. 
This pattern is so dangerous because the codependent becomes addicted to this relationship because it reminds her of her childhood where she was starved of affection. So she becomes addicted to the chase. Okay? So you will hear good teachers in relationship and people teaching about relationships, coaches, psychotherapists, or bloggers. I've seen some good bloggers and um, people online teaching about relationships. And one of the healthy things uh, is if they tell you don't chase, well then that's a good person to follow because you shouldn't be chasing anybody. I want to let that seep, seep in, you know, deep. You shouldn't be chasing anybody. Even if you're on the healthy end of the spectrum, why are you chasing that man? The men, why are you chasing that woman? It's healthy for a man to pursue a woman. Don't get me wrong. It's healthy for a man to pursue a woman. So this is why you have to observe what's the difference. Yeah, especially for a codependent man. So that's that's kind of maybe could be a challenge, I would say, for a man. Because uh, naturally, uh, it is better if a man pursues a woman and a woman just you know, responds, that's kind of the more natural. But then, of course, nowadays, what's natural, everybody says. So, but if a man um, wants to pursue a woman and he has codependency, that could be a little bit tricky and you might need to observe yourself, talk over it with a friend or a pastor, good pastor, therapist, coach. So just that you can identify the difference between chasing a woman and pursuing a woman. You know what I mean? So chasing has a kind of a desperate thing about it. Pursuing is a little bit more softer and gentle. It's softer and more gentle. And, uh, you know, there is a time for giving up, basically. (laughs) A woman wants to be pursued. That is true. And you shouldn't give up too soon. But you do have to know that there is a time when you should give up. <laughs> oh dear, I never thought I'd be teaching about relationships. I'm certainly not the best relationship counselor or coach, but I just want to get this addiction out of you. So this, um, there's a thing I've seen online. And this is nearly an hour, by the way, this podcast. I don't know who's going to listen to it, but I'm glad it's out here now anyway. um, There is a tactic. I met a narcissist when I was uh, in Malaysia. And uh, he was a blogger. (laughs) He was a blogger, okay? And um, so after I got away from him, and as I say, just friendship, when I got away from him, I knew he was very, very bad sort of energy and um, he wasn't Christian either so it was just um, true work I met him true work and um, so because I was writing and he was writing then that was the connection you know the connection was about the writing so when I finally got away from him and he was really dangerous like whoo I got away from him and um, 
So I looked online later, or during that period, and he was writing to young men about how how to abuse a woman with these tactics. So like, where did I write it here? There's a tactic used by many narcissists today. Now, I don't like putting this information out because some narcissists hear this and they go, oh, that's a great idea, I'm going to do that. But this is for you, codependents. And I have even read blogs by men, him, who are teaching young men how to abuse women in this way, which means chase her, drop her, give her crumbs. He's, he's teaching. He was teaching young men how to abuse women, how to be narcissistic. The young men think, oh, this is great. This is how you get a girl, huh? You see? Learning, he's... He's teaching them. So, and he's not the only one online teaching this. So, this is why I'm saying this is really, really important that as many people who understand this and have recovered, please start sharing about it. In the Christian circles, wow, it's just huge issue that is not mentioned. Probably won't be mentioned for years. <laughs> and uh, I will never get on the stage in a church. They won't let me in unless they're highly healthy, highly healthy, if there is such a church nowadays. So we need to get this word out, and this gets even worse when the couples have children. And I'm so sorry because I see, I know people, and I know children in this, and I can't do anything about it. I'm so powerless. You know why? Because I even know some of these children, and I try to talk to them. The children have learned the codependent behavior, which is to be loyal. Loyalty. I love loyalty. It's a beautiful trait. It's absolutely one of the nicest qualities. But if a child's been loyal to the dysfunctional, abusive parents, that's when it gets painful. So we need to do this so that we can teach codependents to stand up to the narcissist and protect their own children. The children are caught up in this emotional drama, making it very difficult for them to form healthy relationships as adults. So it has a knock-on effect. The codependent needs to wake up and take personal responsibility for their role in this toxic dance. And that's also what... Um, Ross Rosenberg calls this the toxic dance. It's like it's perfect. Like a narcissist and a codependent, it actually, when the codependent is not resisting, it just moves beautifully, you see. It's only when the codependent stands up that it gets rocky. And when it gets rocky, the narcissist gets angry and bang, it's all over. And that's the problem. The codependent doesn't want to lose it all, the image. The fairy tale, the fantasy. So I'm going to end now, so it's nearly at an hour. I didn't plan to be an hour, but I did want to talk about this. It was in me. So I'm going to leave you with a proverb. Proverbs 29, 29. I think that's it. The fear of man is a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So this is all about fear. 
fear of man, afraid to stand up to the narcissist, afraid of what the neighbors might think, afraid of what your children will say to you. All this, it's all fear of man, and God is not pleased with this. So men and women who are in abusive relationships need to take courage and put a stop to this toxic, dysfunctional pattern of behaving. And that's all I have to say, and I'm glad I put it out there. I'm finally glad that I put it out there, and I can start sharing more and more. I can go into the detail. What I want to do is try to find you who are waking up, becoming aware, and show you how to recover and move you out of this. There's many people who will never come out of this, and they will take it to the grave, and that's fine. That's their choice, but they are hurting themselves and they're hurting their children and they're hurting the next generation. So if you are in a pattern like this, remember, it's not just you. You're hurting everybody around you. So I'm going to leave it at that and I will um, come back again in two weeks and continue where we left off. And I will be continuing on about healing around areas of relationships, especially dysfunctional relationships, and teaching Christians a little bit more about this area of what is narcissism, because a lot of these are mental dysfunctions, um, but there are the milder forms that we can really heal, okay? So some don't need intervention from doctors and psychotherapists, and others do, so... Let's become aware. Let's be responsible adults. That's what God wants us to do, to mature. So thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. God bless.